Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. So I'm excited this morning. We are um, kicking off something new in our church. So I don't want to jump ahead of the announcements because I missed the announcements this morning. But in March, we will be kicking off our small groups inside of the Ville Church, which I'm super excited about. They're going to be called squads, right? And so if you look up the definition of squads, it's a small group that meets together, you know what I'm saying, that has a task or something. So we're like, how can we, how can we not be churchy and use small groups? So squad worked, all right? Y'all okay with that? All right, cool. And some people, there's a secret society within the church called the Squirrel Squad. Who knows about that? Who was here for the... Yeah, yeah, y'all know about that. Anyway, see? Squirrel Squad. Anyway, so... Um, so these next couple of weeks, we're going to be in a sermon series called Squad Goals, right? And we are going to be talking about what, like, basically, what does the church do? And we're, we're looking at 1 Peter, um, and we're going to be in 1 Peter um, 2 today or whatever, where it kind of talks about us as living stones as the church. Um, but it talks about us as living stones that make up this bigger thing. So as it goes with the stone, it goes with all of the stones that make up the church. And so basically what I'm saying is we're going to talk about like what, a, what our individual duty is and how it works into our corporate duty, right? Like what God actually wants his church to, to be doing. So it's like, what is a church? Why the church? What is the church supposed to do? What is, is God back in the church? Is he with it? And this stuff may seem simple to people, but it's necessary that we work through it because I hear this stuff all day, all day long I'm in, in, in conversations with people with so much skepticism towards the church, um, and that's in the church and outside of the church, right? And so first thing we're hitting is will the real church stand up, right? And so this is a, it's a peculiar topic for me because I spent so many years in my walk as a believer with a lot of skepticism towards the church and beef with the church. Anybody been there before? Am I the only one in here? All right. So y'all ain't never felt like, you know, people in the church are a little creepy sometimes. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. There's a couple creeps in, around sometimes. Come on. All right. So for years, I was, I was bitter like that. Um, and God just worked me through it. I never in my life thought I was going to be a pastor of a church. Did not want to be a pastor you know, I always thought they were creepy and stuff or whatever, and I was just like, I don't want to be one, but somehow I ended up being one. But I'm going to start off this morning, uh, first of all, I want to pray, and I want to read something to you, um, and then we'll go from there. So let's just get started. Glory to you, God. Father, we just praise you. We thank you, Lord, for our church. We thank you for the Ville Church. We thank you for um, being with us, Father. Throughout this, the history of this church, you have took us through so many hills and valleys, and you have showed yourself strong in it all. Um, and you have gifted us with, even in the middle of tensions and hard situations, you've gifted us with um, this revelation that is not about us, but it is completely you, and it's your strength that bonds us and holds us together. Um, and so we thank you, God, that you continue to reveal yourself to us, um, and then our awe and our oohs and our ahs, they just keep getting louder the farther we go. Um, so, God, we pray, Father, that you would just, just be with us this morning, um, that Holy Spirit will do a work in our heart concerning our esteem for the church. Um, and so, and I pray that you help me to preach this, Father Lord, and 
and preach it in truth, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read something to you, um, and it's kind of somewhat of my personal conviction or whatever. It's weird. I don't know. But I just want to read it. It's, what's, it, it. it's what came out when I was working on the sermon. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I kicked a freestyle to you. This right here, I'm not going to freestyle. I'm just going to read it. All right? So don't be disappointed. Um, but it says this. It says, as the people of God, we must come to a conclusion about the things of God. Once you know, you act accordingly. Hence, the truth will set you free. In vagueness, we perpetuate the very issue we are skeptical, skeptical of concerning the church, as I once did in my suspicions of the church. Once I found a resoluteness concerning the value of the church as the means that God displays his glory, I closed my clothing brand that I had dreamed of having since I was a little kid, refused an opportunity in the music industry I had put so much time, money, and energy in pursuing. Um, in a way, I had a moment in the desert where Satan presented comfort, wealth, status on the platter. I didn't even fully grasp the beauty of God's plan with the church and still realized the awe of God's plan will only be fully recognized in eternity. Nevertheless, amongst all these beautiful, shiny opportunities, there was something shimmering so beautifully in the distance. The brightness overtook any and everything that had previously captivated me. By God's grace, he removed my blinders and allowed me to behold the, hap the apple of his eye, the church. Um, that's it. I guess I wanted to read that because I wanted you to realize that for me, there was a journey towards um, the things that I'm about to share with you. They're out of the Bible. I'm not preaching. I'm not going to be preaching me, but I had a, a journey and an interaction with God and the people he sent me to, he sent to me to challenge me about the church. You get where I'm coming from? And so I, I made a lot of people arm wrestle me about my perspective of the church. Um, Cause I was just in my mind, I was like, how you gonna tell me homie, I'm looking right at them. You know what I'm saying? And they're like, yeah, but you aren't getting something. You're missing it in the scripture. Um, and I know you think you're doing things for God but you're missing the way God does things through his church, all right? Um, so today I'm gonna be using the word resoluteness a lot. So I'm gonna give you a working definition of it, right? Because you know how it goes. A brother get a hold of a big word and I got to, got to make it known, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> gotta make you feel it, you know? Don't say a big word around me, I'll, I'll make you pay for it, you understand? But resoluteness, right? Firmly resolved or determined, set in purpose or opinion, characterized by firmness and determination, like as the temper, spirit, your actions, right? And so I hope today to build a resoluteness in your position towards the church and how God calls you to actually interact with the church, right? So a couple weeks ago, I might have told you all about this. I was at this, um, I was filling in for uh, Jonathan Blackburn from Second Mile at a, uh, like a cohort for a bunch of nonprofit leaders that had been going on for a couple weeks, and he couldn't make it, so he said, Jay, can you fill in for me? So I was like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? I was like, yo, they serving food? He was like, yeah, bro, they be snack game is crazy. I'm like, I'm there, all right? So I go, 
and I'm in there, whatever, and they're talking about all these different things about how to raise money and move, you know, your nonprofit forward and everything and reach the community and collaboration. And this lady that I know, I don't know her name or whatever, even though I've been seeing her for years. You know how you see people like, girl, what's up? Just now, how you doing? And in your mind, you're like, what's her name? What's her name? What's her name? I don't remember the name, but I know it, right? So she gets up and she's teaching and it breaks into this whole thing with the class. It's probably about nine people and they start just going in on churches. Like, I mean, they just getting it in. Like, I mean, it's just like, they were just like, you know, like with wrestling when they just keep tagging hands and people come in like suplex it, and then somebody comes out and just be like, ah, come. Like, that's what they were doing to the church, right? And I'm just sitting there and I was just like, you know, trying to sit my coffee like, <laughs> yeah, word, like, you know what I'm saying? And then she turns to me and she goes, well, Pastor Jay, it's my first, this is my first time there. She's like, Pastor Jay, what do you have to say, right? And um, so I was like, oh boy. And so anyway, I went on to explain to them, um, I went on to explain to them, I said, first of all, a lot of what you're saying is right. Um, and then I said to them, I said, there, I said, there are a lot of greedy churches. That was some of the things they were saying because they were talking about how they could never get any conversations or collaboration. And I said, yeah, there is a lot of greedy churches. And that, that is a big issue. I said, but there is some misinformation that y'all have too, if you'll let me share it. And so I went on to tell them, I said, first of all, like 90% of pastors are bivocational. I'm like, you, you've written, you've generalized the whole church experience based off like 10 mega churches with mad money but there's actually a thousand on the, over a thousand in the books in the city. So I'm like, you actually haven't even seen a smidgen of how many there really are. And so the narrative is only being ran from the top few. And I said, but you're right. Still, it's not an excuse, it's a problem. And so I told them that, um, and we worked through some of the dynamics and I told them about our relationship with Second Mile and how they were a resource for us when we got here. And I was like, I said, now when I dream, I dream with our shoelaces tied together. I can't even dream about the church without thinking about them. And I said, but it didn't come from us being a resource to them. They actually served us and they taught us and they, showed, they, they, they helped us with our heart for what God called us to do. And so by the time I finished, several of them were like, man, can I come to church on Sunday? I was like, most definitely. Nobody came to church, but still. It still was a seed planted, right? That's, you know what I'm saying? I'm gonna keep it real with you. I ain't gonna tell you live, whatever. They ain't all pal in here. But there was a seed planted, and all of a sudden, the church looked beautiful to them in that conversation. Number one, because it found agree agreement with them, and it also helped them with some misinformation. You get where I'm coming from? But why is that so hard to happen? Like, why does that never happen? The big issue in it is that people never have proximity. We're never close enough to actually fix the misinformation. You get where I'm coming from? And so a lot of times when, you, when we're mad at the church, and I'm talking about people who are in church also, um, and people who are not unbelievers who just have criticisms for the church, we're usually outside of the church kind of throwing rocks at it. Or we're in church having thoughts about what's going on, but never coming to a table to actually participate in any of it. You get where I'm coming from? And so like proximity for us is extremely important for us to actually get true perspectives. But more than anything, proximity in the word of God is actually important, right? It's super, it's super like we need to actually be in the word of God because the word of God tells us so much about the church. And I'm gonna get in that today. I know I'm talking your ear off, but I really want you to really catch where I'm at with it, right? So, 
I think when we're talking about people's grievances with the church, we're talking about two different things, right? Two different type of grievances. There's a indifference where people are just like, I don't care at all. Church or no church, tomato, tomato, right? You ever run into people like that? They're like, cute, great. I don't care. Some people are there. And then some people have a hostility where they're actually still engaged with the ideas of church, but they just like, they're not feeling it. They're on that skeptical thing. Like it's looking really, really weird with them. Are they just mad with the way that it operates or some of the outputs, right? I want to read you a phrase from Andy Stanley. He says, and indifference is a much harder issue to deal with. Hostility means the person angry with you is still engaged. Indifference means you've lost them, at least for now. Indifference is a very different opponent than disagreement or hostility. Maybe it's rooted in the fact that the church has largely stopped caring about the world. Listen to this last part, he says. He says, and when the church no longer cares about the world, it should be no surprise that the world no longer cares about the church. Right? I think that's what we experience often. And the only fix for that right there is actually proximity. There's a gap there relationally. There's a gap of information that just doesn't come together at all. Um, So when I was thinking about this sermon this morning, how I was going to preach it, I was like, am I going to preach the indifference or am I going to preach the hostility? Um, And where I sided at is on, I'm going to preach the hostility. And the reason being is because I think the best message to the to people outside of the walls of the church that are in indifference is a church that knows who it is, right? Y'all are gonna be the best conversation and best proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I wanna work on the hostility that we often find in ourselves this morning. You get where I'm coming from? All right. We are gonna be inside of 1 Peter 2, if you can go ahead and turn there. I'm going to walk us through there. Um, Peter is doing this amazing thing because, um, so like I told you before, there was a time when I just had a grievance with the church. Um, And I may have told you before, but even when I launched my clothing store um, downtown, it was out of this grievance with the church, if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, And God used that, that, you know, place in my heart and everything else to draw me back to the church but like I was mad at the church mad at what I thought it wasn't doing um, but I ended up pulling down what the church was very low Um, and one of the ways he kind of drew me back was number one when I had the store there was a lot of amazing things happened people were coming to Christ and so many beautiful things but it was not the church and I could feel it and then one of my friends came in one day and he just straight up like checked me about it and he was just checking me about the hostility that I had in my heart towards the church and he took me and he showed me some scriptures and by the time he got done with me I had this holy fear about some of the ways that spoken about spoken about church you get where I'm coming from so let's get into it right Peter's about to do the same thing with his audience. Let me, give you a, let me give you the context really quick also. Peter is talking to the church, right? He's talking to the, and when I say church, he's not talking to a church like a gathering like this. He's talking to the people of God. And here's the thing, they're also under persecution, right? So they're exiles, but they're gathered 
and they're displaced in their gathered places, but they have churches there. And you're going to see how he does this thing where he talks to them individually, but he's also talking to them uh, collectively, right? And so you won't see this in your text, but like, um, I, I just want to give you tools as we go through it. Ecclesia or ecclesia, however you want to pronounce it, um, in Greek means the church, right? It's in the Bible 114 times in the New Testament. 114 times. Why is this super important, what I'm telling you? Because when you, I, I, last night before I went to bed, I looked on Facebook and I saw somebody in an argument about the church, right? And they're just like, nah, this, whatever is this and that, and so many different criticisms and everything else or whatever, but like, as believers, how many people know we have to love what God loves, right? You don't get to say that, God, I trust you and I'm going to follow you, but I'm not really feeling you on that, so I'm going to write my own kind of prescription for how that needs to happen, right? He's given us a plan. He's laid it out in his word, and we follow by faith. So he, th there's a crazy esteem for the church as we actually know it inside of the Bible, right? And it has a vast meaning. Just that word ecclesia is worldwide. It's the worldwide church. It's a regional church. It's the local congregation, and it's the people of God assembled worshiping God, all right? So I want you to, I want you to hold that tool as we go through 1 Peter. All right, y'all ready? So he says, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And in verse 2, he says, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up, to, grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to come back and get in verse 6, but I want to hit um, verses um, 2 and 3 really quick, right? What's amazing about verse 1, he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. When you are vague on your position with something, right? It's like I was saying earlier, when somebody came and confronted me about church, I had to repent of my position in so many words I had spewed about it, right? Because one of the things, when I looked in this scripture right here, this is exactly what Peter's doing. He's talking to the people of God. He's like, yo, put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. He's telling them to actually switch up their positions and their stance and their posture, right? And then he says, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. I don't know about you, but nine times out of 10, if I'm gonna actually gossip about somebody, it's gonna be because I think I'm cute. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, you have to watch yourself, like your flesh, when you like fly. Like, say you got a new outfit on, you be like, you know what I'm saying, I'm about to kill all these people, you know what I'm saying? And you be in the mirror walking around the house, you be like, I don't care about nobody back. You get this fleshly thing arises, right? And so, Peter's in the scripture, like, calling them out on their evil, but then in the same time he's asking them to change their posture, he, he's basically telling them to humble themselves. He's not saying, like, get grown or grow up. He's saying, I need you to actually function like newborn infants and long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. Do y'all see that in the text? And in verse 3, he kind of almost kind of tries them. He says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
So he puts a, he presents this tension. Are you basically going to repent of the way that you've been moving, right? Are you going to humble yourself to become needy, right? And he's like, if you've actually tasted, if you've really tasted of the goodness of God. So it's kind of like this right here. If you've tasted of the goodness of God, do you not want to get more and do you not want to see people get more? You get where I'm coming from? And then if you've tasted it and you don't want that, then now have to be skeptical that you've ever tasted it, right? So he, 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 puts, he puts them in the dynamic. These are the people of God he's, going, he's talking to, right? And then verse 4, he's about to get like super grown on him. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. This is important. So he checked, he, first of all, he presents the issue to them, tells them to switch posture and to humble themselves. He tests them in verse 3 by saying, if you've actually tasted of it, then let's roll. If you ain't rolling, then I'm skeptical a little bit of you, whatever, like, did you really taste it? And he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Verse 5, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That verse 4 is so important because it's almost that reality check of you are destroying what God is building because of some of the tensions you find yourself in, right? In the building process, as if you don't serve a God who went before you and got brutalized for this. You get where I'm coming from, right? It's kind of like, it's kind of like when, you know, you're working with somebody and they're complaining like crazy and you're just like, yo, like cut it out. Like this is what it is, right? This, 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 this road is paved with sacrifice and, and, and everything else, right? He, he, he lifts Christ up. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So he point, points to the idea that rejection, people's skepticism is a part of the process, but you've got to figure out where you're actually at with it, Right? But he also builds the esteem, he says, but in the sight of God, chosen precious. So he's pointing to the one who leads us, who we're following, Jesus Christ. And then he brings us into this cohesiveness with Christ in verse 5. You yourselves like, yourselves like living stones, just call Christ the living stone. And he says, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Um, so let me give you a picture of that. Christ is called the living stone, right? And then it says, we as living stones, plural, are being built up into a spiritual house, right? So Christ, there's this, there's this thing where Christ is the foundation of the church, of the body of believers, and then we are living stones individually, but then collectively we build up into this spiritual house. There is no case to be made against the gathering of the saints. It's God's plan, it's inside of his word. Are being built up into a spiritual house. 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says, 
do you not do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God dwells in you so God lives within us and when we come together he lives within us in this spiritual house you understand I just want you to feel it in the gut because it's actually in your gut right what he's doing it literally is and he says he says you're called to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 10 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. So here's a couple things we just discovered by the church just reading this, right? Number one, we, we are, 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 uh, our captain and chief who we follow, Jesus Christ, is chosen and precious and has experienced more rejection, even leading to death, that's beyond even our comprehension, right? So he precedes us in that, right? So we are, we are like our father in our calling. And we as living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. We, we recognize that inside of the scripture. But it says that we are a holy priesthood. When you look back in the Bible back in the day, you see, first of all, you see where the tabernacle is now replaced with what would be the church, or you could say the tabernacle is now replaced with what would be your heart, right? We don't have to go through priests to speak to God for us, right? We don't have to go through priests to make sacrifices for us. You're able to speak to God yourself, right? You're able to have your own relationship with God. His Holy Spirit lives right with you inside of you and so this is important for you to know because you should esteem that a whole lot but too often I hear the case being made like why do I need church or other saints when God lives within me I'm good it sounds makes sense but it's just not what the Bible says right so as Christians, what we follow is actually the word of God. We don't start writing our own prescription and our own narrative, right? This, this is where it becomes problematic. Like, you can't, you can't get off the beaten path of the word of God. And so I, I'm saying it to you like this because I want you to hear stuff that you've actually heard before. And if, you like, if you're like me, you've said before, Right? I rehearsed that whole thing like, man, you know, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I don't really need anybody else. That's what Satan has used to kind of scoop me away from the church at times. That's what happens. That's what happens in the building all the time. But that's not God's plan. That's not his plan at all. Let me read a scripture to you, right? In Ephesians 5, he says this. Um, no, excuse me. Ephesians 3, I'm just going to read this really quiet, really quick. I'm going to come back to it later on. Um, but in verse 10, Ephesians 3.10, he says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Right? It's all over our text and all over the Bible that God's plan is going to be manifested through his church. It always has been. Right? Since Acts, since, since, since the day of Pentecost when the Spirit fell on everybody, they gathered into a church. The people assembled together, and we're still doing it thousands of years later. I'm going to read verse 16. 
He says, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. He's talking about Christ the King. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. This is, this, this, this is important for the church to know. Because a lot of time our squirming and our vagueness is because we're concerned about shame. We're, con- we're concerned with the persecution that comes from people um, who don't esteem church, right? Who don't esteem anything concerning Christ or God, and we feel like we have to make a case with everybody and make it be all right and make it make sense, right? You're going to see in the text right now, it's not going to make sense to everybody because it's not for everybody. So it says, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, talking about him. And it says, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the promise is that you'll never be put to shame. People will try to shame you, but at the end of the day, you will not be put to shame. And verse 7, it says, so the honor is for you who believe. This goes back to the first verse, the first two verses where Peter is trying to get everybody to change their posture. It's a very big deal if you engage this calling that Christ has put on us, if you engage it from a standpoint of, um, if you go limp in your body, you have to be dragged, it's very different than you actually considering it an honor. For you to consider the calling of the church or you as a living stone that makes up the church, and honor, it means you have to have a full awareness of what God is actually doing and that you're called into it. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, right? You have, to know what, you have to know what time it is. And if you don't know, if you don't completely have a full understanding of, of what God is actually doing, then you have to have a full faith and trust in God. Because like he said in the very beginning, become babes and long for pure milk. That isn't, you don't have to know every single thing. But there's a faith in Christ Jesus. Like with my kids, they see mama and they're like, mama, you, where, where the milk at? They know she has what they need. You feel me? All right? You feel me? All right. Tap your neighbor, tell them wake up. All right. It says, so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to, destined to do. Um, no matter what we do, we will always take the word of God and contextualize it for people to be able to digest it. There's times where we'll even be seeker friendly to people, right? Um, if you don't eat with chopsticks, homie, here's a fork. But we're still serving the same meal. You get where I'm coming from? Um, and that's important to say because certain people will not grab this word. So no matter what we do, you won't be able to make it cool enough for them. And if you make it cool enough for them, then you may have actually jeopardized the truth of the word, and that is a non-negotiable for us, right? This is important because we need to understand when we are Christ, I'm with you, 
and I'm called that we're letting God actually write down the lines for us that the box that we play in. You understand what I mean? And, and it's written in our scripture. We don't have to feel it. We don't have to make it up. It says they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. It means they step outside of the lines. It's not even that they don't have an awareness of what the word says. They actually just, it doesn't mean anything. They're indifferent to it. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So that's a different, from, from a posture standpoint, that's a very big case for us to make. Like, when we know what the church is, when we know what the church is called to do, right? We gather together, we read the word together, we evangelize together, right? We celebrate and minister to each other, right? There's times when people are hurting and struggling in the church and you won't even know about it because somebody who's close to them and in their life is already taking care of the issue, right? There's people in the church where it's like, man, I'm hurting, I need a job, boom. I know somebody that knows somebody. We enrich each other's existence, right? We, in the face of the world that where everything seems to be broken and crumbling and things are very, very shallow, the church are people who have a commitment based on God's word, right, to love each other, to overwhelm each other with mercy and grace, right? It says as we're being comforted in our afflictions that we lavish others who are also being overwhelmed in their afflictions, and we lavish them with the grace and mercy we receive. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's the display that people, because here's the thing. We all know when you trip and you stumble in the world, you get your throat cut. Don't let a crazy story pop up on social media. You're done. You feel me? You're done. And so people sometimes are like, why is it everybody ends up in jail and they all of a sudden want to become Christians? That's the way it's supposed to be. Because it's supposed to be a room full of people that are just, that are, Lord, I'm a wretch. Like Paul says, I'm a wretch. Only your mercy and grace can save me. I'm not confused out here. There is nothing out here I can do that is going to redeem me but the blood of Jesus Christ. That is what the church is incorporated of. So, of course, our arms are wide open like, you did what? Oh, that's crazy. Come on in, though. Let me tell you what I did. And let me tell you what Jesus did. And let me tell you why we cry out and celebrate him and praise him and worship him. Do you understand? Let me tell you why when we get on each other's nerves in here, we still have mercy for each other to keep going forward. Right? Let me tell you why when people fail or do something crazy within our body, we're not done with them. Do you understand? That's the light that is supposed to shine out of the body of Christ. So in verse 8, he says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Everybody's not going to think who we are is cute, and it's okay. We'll never be ashamed. We'll never be shamed for that. But in verse 9, it says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you see that? The church is full of ransom people. Ransom people. This is of utmost importance. We're ransom people. 
because this is where it gets really, really weird with people. I want you to think for a minute. Think about people you've talked to in the last year or two that you've heard criticisms about the church, like what they've said, right? I just was talking to a young man out of town last week, and he was just like, man, he said, I can't deal with church or whatever. He's like, these are some of the most judgmental people I've ever met in my life. You telling me God should be judging me as wicked and I got pardoned in my mercy and I'm going to walk around judging people? It's kind of crazy, right? But I am that kind of crazy. I am that kind of messed up, which leads me back to the mercy and grace. You understand what I'm saying? Everybody in the streets I talk, that's their whole thing. Like, where are you at? Why are you present? Like, why don't we ever see y'all? Like, we, we, we're dealing with some real issues out here in the streets. We don't seem like y'all, it doesn't seem like y'all care to show up. You heard that before? Our, I'm kind of springing this on you, but the vision for our church, we've been messing with the vision. You know, it changes like every couple months, but anyway. Um, I think we got this one, all right? It's to see the church restored in health zone one through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's simple enough, right? But I just want to talk to you about it because I've already used it several times talking to people about the gospel. And the conversations that I used to in was um, people who were, had criticisms for the church. And so, number one, we didn't want to write it like, oh, we're the good old Christian people and we came to save everybody in health zone one. It's not the case. God is using this community to reveal our classism, elitism, racism, all these isms and all these sins in our heart. Um, so it's a gift to us, even as believers, to have to function within the tensions that affect this community, right? Um, but it's also us finding agreement with what we hear from people in the streets where they're like, where's the church at? Right? And so what we realize, if we give credibility to people who stand outside of the walls of the church and what they're saying, then we realize that the beauty of the church needs to be restored, right? Long term, right? When I'm like 100 years old and I'm on my deathbed, that's why I was telling you how old I want to die at, Lord, anyway, right? 138, all right? <laughs> I pray that when we're there, that people, what, what I would, what, what the desire for our church, this is like what we discussed with, you know, eldership and leaders and everything else, is that people would go, man, the church has enriched this community, right? Like, that church is not a disdain to people, but that the church actually looks like what God talks about in the Bible right? That the church is not here to be served, but like the church actually is full of foot washers, like Jesus, the one who we follow. That's what he says in his word. That's what he tells us to do. He says, yo, I'm the boss and I'm washing your feet. What you think you're supposed to do? You understand what I'm saying? And so like, I know this isn't this may not sound super deep for people, but these things that we haven't taken as super deep are, are, are really important pieces of his word are the things that have become stumbling blocks for the church. Right? 
we've written a picture of and drawn a picture of church, and I mean from an individual perspective to a corporate perspective. It's one of the reasons why I always tell you, like, hey, when we get around the Word of God and we show up and we read the Bible, church is done. We've won. We killed it today. I don't care if the lights go out, cameras don't work, anything. I don't care if my computer's about to die. And I'm saying that because it's about to die. <laughs> but seriously, like, that, those things don't make us be a church, and they have for far too long. You understand? Even for members in the church, it comes in and it tortures them so much because, like, we got to get the show popping. And Jesus is no longer the apple of our eye in the middle of it, right? And so for us as a church, we're not saying that we get all that right. I'm saying that for us as a church, we're being built up. So we're able to repent and keep on pursuing what God is doing. You get where I'm coming from? If I tell you that we're building a house, when you show up, you know to go looking for a hammer, right? But if I'm building and working on a house and you show up and you thought it's about to be like, you know, an Airbnb and you was like, hey, I got my Louis bag. What's up? And you like, oh, junk, there's no wall in my room. You're going to be, it's going to be a problem. And that's how we've been so often with the church. We're like, yo, this thing is, it's not what I thought it was. Well, what it is, what the scripture is telling us is that we're being built up, right? It says it. Verse 2 says that by it you may grow up into salvation. Verse 5, he says, you, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. We are, be, we are in a process of sanctification. Let me read Ephesians 4 to you. It says, so Christ gave him, says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, not to be worshipped, but foot washers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So God is not naive that we're a mess, right? We're the ones that are naive about it. So like, once you take away the vagueness of what church is called to be, then we're left with the question whether we're going to actually believe God and trust him and actually lean into it, Right? Because once we remove all of our issues with it, and we're like, and God is like, yeah, I'm fully aware of it. That's why I'm actually calling you into it, because I'm going to take you and continue to craft you and build you into what it actually is. Like, you aren't the righteous one here. I am. I'm daddy. I'm going to shape you and mold you. Once we remove all of the stumbling blocks out of the way, now we have to just go, well, the door is wide open. Am I going to actually follow? Y'all get where I'm coming from? It's important. It's important for us to make, us make it simple for us. God isn't naive. It's like, yeah, you're right. It says, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The idea here is that we keep beholding Christ 
And as we keep putting our eyes in, like we, and God keeps revealing himself and revealing his son in Christ on the cross and his mercy and grace, it's going to make us bow down more and more in repentance, right? It's going to make us doubt, bow down more and more repentance, and it's going to make us actually believe what God is actually doing more. And you're going to grab your neighbor and your brother and your sister, and you're going to walk in spiritual works that glorify God. That's how it works. That's how it works. That's what he says inside of the scripture. Let me show you what he says in this next scripture. I'm still in Ephesians, but I'm in verse 14. It says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You want to know why this scripture is so beautiful to me? It's so beautiful to me because from the perspective of being a pastor, you see so many things that nobody else sees, right? And what you see is how much you personally suck more than anybody, right? No, I'm going to keep it really real. Like you, like when I, when I meet pastors who are like, hey, I got this, you know, and like everything's about their gifting and talent, I get afraid of them instantly. Because I'm like, I don't know what kind of church you're running, brother. Like, I don't, you, that scares me. It's meant to make you poor in spirit and need the power of Christ to accomplish it. It's meant to break you down in a place where it's like you can't tell hero stories about yourself, right? Eldership, leaders, and everybody else are in place to protect the church, which means protecting the pastor from the pastor. So when I run into guys and they're like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm the boss up in here. You know, I say this or whatever. I manage the accounts myself. I'm like, word, I don't care how nice they are. You got flesh on your body, homie. And Satan's going to come at your throat. And he hates the church. So I know he's going to come at you, no matter how good you think you are. So if you don't have protocol, which is biblical, to have elders and leaders and people in place that actually can check you, confront you, check on your soul how you're doing, that's the church. You want to know why it's the church? Because once again, the church is full of broken wretches who are now called the royal priesthood because of the work of Jesus Christ, not our own. So we don't move this thing with a confidence in ourselves. We're poor in spirit, depending on the power of God, right? When we stumble, it's like, yeah, of course. Grace and mercy for that. Let's keep rolling. This is, this is detrimental because if we don't know this, we try to build something weird. Either you build something weird that is based on self-righteousness and ends up crushing everybody that engages in it, right? Or you don't build anything at all. You just stand outside the walls and criticize it. You get where I'm coming from? So if the people of God, as the people of God, as children of God, we have to be resolute. There's that word. We have to be resolute 
in what God has called us to do and what his word says and us trusting his word and walking out in obedience, right? God is already, he's already won this thing. Jesus already came. He's already conquered the grave, right? Whatever sin easily besets you, put it to the side because the blood of Jesus is sufficient, right? That condemnation, that thing Satan keeps popping up like, yo, I know what you did last summer and trying to tell you you're filthy and dirty. Like, yep. And the blood of Jesus is sufficient. So what? Forward we go. Being built up. Right? Satan wishes to condemn you. All he's telling you is that you are needy. That you are in a place where you are in baby form and you're like, Jesus, I need spiritual milk because without it, I'm a done deal. And the Lord loves when we enter his presence like that. Needy. Right? That's not for suckers. That's what maturity in the faith looks like. That's what it looks like. That's who the church is. And I hope that um, I hope that speaks to y'all church. I um, I think y'all saw in a letter I sent out not too long ago and I started it and I was just talking about the church and one of the things I said was that there was a time that I looked at the church, I used to look at God and I used to say, why in the world would you do this to anybody you love? And I was particularly calling about, talking about my role to lead in the church. And in the past couple of months, I've said over and over again to people um, that it's like the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Um, and the only reason I make that statement it's because the church is so beautiful to me, right? And it makes me so poor and so needy for Jesus, but I, I keep experiencing him, right? So I don't know. Maybe I would occupy my time with something else if I wasn't called to this role. I don't know. So I don't even, I'm not saying it from a place of self-righteousness, like I'm spending so time, so much time with the Lord. I'm saying like, even when I don't want to spend time with him, he shows up. And I'm just in awe like, God, why do you, why do you keep rolling up on me? Why do you love me like that? And that's what puts the weight on me to come preach to y'all, like to, to ooze out what I'm being crushed with. It's not me shaking my finger at you. It's like me out of my neediness, right? Just oozing out what God is doing. And so um, since I've been doing this, I've seen more friends die, more people get killed. Just I feel like I've gotten a perspective on death and murder and in the evils of this world in ways that I didn't have before, even though I thought I had an awareness before. Um, and so the more I see this stuff, the more it turns the volume up on the beauty of the church. Because I realize it's the answer to the world. It's the way God went to, meant to move forward. Like it's a refuge. Like we've been inside of Psalms 84 and, and David is saying, he's like, man, look at the house of the Lord. Like even the, even the birds found their place here. He's talking about actually walking up on, on the temple. And like, he's like, yo, everybody gets to come in this thing. Everybody finds a spot. Whoever wants a spot, there's room for everybody up in it. That's what he's proclaiming. 
And once again, that's from a man who's killed his homeboy, a, a man, that's from somebody who is wretched beyond belief. Like if I don't have Jesus, I'm killing my man and taking his wife. My kids are going to end up dead. My country is going to suffer. That's, that's you know, that's David longing for the Lord. Not because he's so good and just loves the Lord. It's like, Lord, if I don't have you, brother, everything is done. I'm destroying everything, right? And that's what it is for us. And that's why God calls us into proximity with people in a real way, into a world where real things are happening. That's why Paul says to Timothy, suffer as a good soldier of Christ. Suffer in it. Because when you actually step into it, right, and you hear what's going on in the world and what people are actually going through, and you start dealing with people in their pain, it's going to give you this neediness. It's going to make you fall on your knees before the Lord and need him. And you're going to see him, and you're going to see how beautiful he is. And you're going to see how beautiful his plan and what he's doing through the church. It's going to become very, very clear. And it's going to turn the volume up and make you run around screaming about it like you're out of your mind. Right? It's going to make you have patience with people to listen to them, to listen. You, like in the word it says, weep with those who weep. You're going to gain credibility with people you never thought would ever share their heart with you. Just from sitting with them listening, being patient with them. Because you're going to be experiencing that patience from Jesus Christ. Right? So... It's the happiest place on earth for me to be is with y'all. And I mean that. I don't mean that as flattery. I don't mean that because I got to preach a sermon. I don't want to be on a jet nowhere, and I don't want to be on a beach. I want to be right here with you because God is doing something amazing right here through the Ville Church. Um, And so um, I love y'all. Let me pray us out, and then we're going to take communion. Glory, Father. God, we thank you that you are bigger than us. Lord, Father, help us to become poor before you. Help us to not drink the Kool-Aid and fall for everything when we feel good and everything and think we got it together and think we're cute. Um, But Father, maintain us in a poorness, Father, Lord, that keeps us wanting you. Um, Father, in your scripture, Paul talks about for the sake of Christ, being content in hardships in calamities, um, he said whether he um, is prospering or he's, you know, back against the wall, he can be content with you. You've done this thing in his heart that you display where um, Satan doesn't have a stronghold in his heart based on his circumstances. Your word is declaring that whether we're in the valley high or in the valley low or in the mountain high, that you are in it, that we go from strength to strength, that we're, if we're in the valley of weeping, that you are still in it with us and still doing something amazing. 
our faith, our trust. If you're with us, who can be against us? If you're with us, what circumstance can sweep the ground from up under our feet? So I pray, Father, Lord, that you do this thing with our faith and our trust for you, Lord. We're like, we learn how to rejoice in hard things, easy things, fun things, sad things, tragedies. But that our resolve is that immeasurable riches through Christ Jesus are ours. That we are a chosen people, that we are a royal priesthood that we all have a calling to proclaim the good news of the gospel that we all have purpose to proclaim the good news that we all live out spiritual sacrifices where what we do we esteem others higher than ourselves, where we're mindful of glorifying you not for the sake of being good but because you mean that to us. So, Father, I just praise you. I thank you, Lord. I pray, Father, Lord, that our statement to anybody that is skeptical of the church or anything like that is, number one, yeah, I get it, but two, I don't get it. I pray that our answer is you, it's Jesus on the cross. I pray that it is us living in proximity, that your glory would be displayed through us as your children. And you would show us how to love people how you love the Lord. But I pray that you would save us from being entrapped in people's opinions. And that the word would be made clear for us, Lord. I pray for our church, Lord. I pray for it. I pray for me. I pray for everybody in this room. I thank you, Father, for being with us. Father, we thank you for anybody that's here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and as their Savior, Father. Your son, Jesus, they don't know him, Lord, but we pray that they would take this opportunity um, during communion to pray with somebody in the front, to come ask questions, to grab me and ask questions. Um, pray that they would know there's nothing to be ashamed of. They're talking to very, very needy people who have now been fulfilled people in you and in your son. So we praise you. We thank you for our church, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.